Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net we have terrific guests for today's show including mark shulman mark is the founder and publisher of historycentral.com he's also an author of several books mainly on past presidents we'll be talking about current global events we'll visit with larry reed Larry is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll raise the question about a science-affirming creation. It's not an accident. We'll find out why. And then Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is January the 17th, and on this day in 1966, believe this or not, a B-52 bomber collided with a KC-135 jet tanker over Spain's Mediterranean coast, dropping three 70-ton, kiloton hydrogen bombs near the town of uh, Palomares and and one in the sea. It was not the first time or accident involving American nuclear bombs. Did you know that? I didn't. As a means of maintaining first-strike capability during the Cold War, U.S. bombers laden with nuclear weapons circled the Earth ceaselessly for decades. In a military operation of this magnitude, it was inevitable that accidents would occur. The Pentagon admits to more than three dozen accidents in which bombers either crashed or caught fire on the runway, resulting in nuclear contamination from a damaged or destroyed bomb and or a loss of a nuclear weapon. One of the only broken arrows to receive widespread publicity occurred on January the 17th, 1966, when a B-52 bomber crashed into a KC-135 jet tanker over Spain. The bomber was returning to its North Carolina base following a routine airborne uh, alert mission along the southern route of the Strategic Air Command when it attempted to refuel with the tanker. The B-52 collided with a fueling boom of the tanker, ripping the bomber open and igniting the fuel. The KC-135 exploded, killing all four of its crew members, but four members of the seven-man B-52 crew managed to parachute to safety. None of the bombs were armed, but explosive material in two of the bombs that fell to Earth exploded upon impact, uh, forming craters and scattering radioactive plutonium over the fields of Polymeris. A third bomb landed in a dry riverbed and was recovered relatively intact. The fourth bomb fell in the sea at an unknown location. Polymeris is a remote fishing and farming community, was filled with nearly 2,000 U.S. military personnel and Spanish civil guards who rushed to clean up the debris and uh, decontaminate the area. The U.S. personnel took precautions to prevent overexposure to the radiation, but the Spanish workers who lived in the country that lacked experience with nuclear uh, technology did not. Eventually, some 1,400 tons of radioactive soil and vegetation was shipped to the United States for disposal. Meanwhile... Uh, at sea, 33 U.S. Navy vessels were involved in the search for the lost hydrogen bomb. Using an IBM computer, experts tried to lo- uh, calculate where the bomb might have landed, but the impact area was so large for an effective search. Finally, an eyewitness account by a Spanish fisherman led the investigators to one mile area. On March 15th, the submarine spotted the bomb, and on April the 7th, it was re- recovered. It was damaged but intact. Studies of the effects of the nuclear act uh, on the people of Polymeris were limited, but the United States eventually settled some 500 claims by residents whose health was adversely affected. Because the accident happened in a foreign country, it received far more publicity than did the dozen or so similar crashes that occurred within U.S. borders. (laughs) I'll repeat that. A dozen or more occurred right in our U.S. borders. As a security measure, U.S. authorities do not announce nuclear weapon accidents, and some American citizens may have unknowingly been exposed to radiation that resulted from aircraft crashes and emergency bomb jettisons. Today, two hydrogen bombs and uranium core lie in yet undetermined locations off the Sound of Georgia, in the Puget Sound off Washington, and in swamplands near Goldsboro, North Carolina. Can you believe that? It's amazing stuff. In the nuclear age, 
Well, today is Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, and uh, my favorite speech of his was a letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, he was a great leader, and he certainly called for his kids to be judged not on their color, but on the character, this, the quality of their character, their of, of their lives. Well, uh, we're going to visit a little bit more about Martin Luther King Jr. later in the show with uh, Mark Schulman, but... Uh, Enjoy Martin Luther King Day. He was a great man. Well, tens of thousands of people across Carolina were left without power on Sunday after a winter storm swept across parts of East Coast before spawning tornadoes in Florida. The largest winter storm system combined high winds and ice have caused freezing rain, inches of snow, and ice to fall across much of Southeast, knocking out power, disrupting transport, and causing hazardous driving conditions for locals. By mid-morning yesterday, residents across southwest Florida and Lee, Lee County especially were taking shelter and heeding multiple tornado warnings stretching from North Collier County and across the Gulf Coast to Lee County and beyond. Yesterday's tornado that ripped apart homes in North Fort Myers along uh, Lee County was an EF2 tornado with winds at 118 miles per hour, according to the National Weather Service. Information from Florida Light and Power indicated that by 3 p.m. there were 2,000, over 2,000 customers in Lee County and 241 in Collier County still without power. There were 141 customers in Charlotte County waiting to be reconnected. One county assessment rated 27 homes destroyed, 24 with major damage, and 14 with minor damage. Uh, there are our folks in our area in real need right now, so if to... To find out how you can help, if you have that inclination, you can contact the Red Cross. Just uh, go to redcross.org and then slash South Florida. Who would believe it at this time of year? Interesting. Well, the National and Pacific Tsunami Warning Centers have issued tsunami advisories for the entire West Coast, Hawaii, and parts of Alaska as a volcano erupted near Tonga. Late on Friday, there were no immediate reports of injuries or the extent of the damages Communications with the small nation remained cut off for hours after the eruption. New Zealand's military said it was monitoring the situation and remained on standby, ready to assist if asked. Problem is, that of course, you have volcanic ash that's just pouring down. It was amazing to see there was somehow uh, a, a sky, probably from a satellite, picture of what happened in the amazing eruption. Right now we find that the, uh, the uh, tsunami... It looks like it's one to three foot waves across uh, parts of the West, so it's not uh, creating tremendous damage, but nevertheless, an amazing event in Tonga. Well, Lee and Collier counties again set pandemic records for the number of COVID-19 cases in a week, according to a report. Uh, the report, which contains state and county level data from January 7th through Thursday, shows a total of 18,000 cases for the two counties. According to the report, Lee had 12,846, which is a 21% jump, and uh, uh, Collier set a record with its third consecutive week with 5,392, up 10% from uh, last week. Florida also set a record for cases for the third week in a row with 430,000 reported, an 8% increase from uh, last week. While coronavirus-related hospitalizations in both counties have not reached their summer levels, they've continued to rise. Experts have said hospitalizations lag behind reported cases by about two weeks. NCH Healthcare Hospital was treating 150 COVID-19 patients Friday. It's a 28% jump over the 117 reported a week ago. On Monday, NCH will begin postponing elective surgeries because of its growing number of COVID-19 patients. Last week, Lee County... Lee Health began a similar policy. According to the CDC's latest community profile report, Lee and Cuyahoga counties saw a combined 11 COVID-19 deaths from the week ending January the 12th, four more than the week before. I suppose one of the problems, too, is that uh, healthcare workers are being infected by the uh, COVID uh, Omicron strain, and uh, no doubt that they're having a reduction in the number of staff that's available to, to serve in, uh, for health care needs. We'll continue to monitor that and take a look at it uh, based on tomorrow. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin uh, signaled a new direction for Virginia on his first day in office, signing 11 executive actions aimed at changing the trajectory of the Commonwealth. 
Young can sign nine executive orders and two executive directors, many of which focused on education, the coronavirus, and economic development. In his first executive order as governor, the Virginia Republican promised to restore excellence in education by ending the use of diverse, divisive concepts, including critical race theory, in public education. The second order promised to empower Virginia parents in their children's education and upbringing by allowing parents to make decisions on whether their child wears a mask to school. Both orders signaled the fulfillment of a major campaign theme among education and parental rights taking on the Marxist critical race theory indoctrination scheme directly and opening up the opportunity for parents to choose whether or not to mask their children, a practice that has proven to be detrimental to social development and mental health. The final education-related order is, is the fourth, which promises to investigate the Loudoun County School Board, which appears to have covered up the rape of a student in order to pass a sweeping transgender bill that would allow boys and girls to use restrooms and locker rooms. Another coronavirus-related director promises to restore individual freedoms and personal privacy by rescinding the vaccine mandate for all state employees. He also declared Virginia open for business, but backed up the order by stating his intention to withdraw from the regional greenhouse gas initiative and cut job-killing uh, job regulations by 25%. Why don't he cut out 100% of them? In any event, this is just so refreshing to have him now on his first day making these type of types of declaration and, and executive orders. Virginia is very fortunate. You can see the kind of impact that when you have somebody who's clear thinking comes into the role of governor. We're so fortunate to have our governor here in the uh, state of Florida. And uh, now Virginia is benefiting from their governor. Uh, they certainly have a new broom to sweep clean in the state of Virginia. About 8,000 people attended the inauguration, by the way. Pretty interesting. Uh, governor Winsome Sears, a Lieutenant Governor, and General Jason Myers were also sworn in, uh, in uh, on Friday. Congratulations, Virginia. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Hire Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. 
or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Breed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, as I mentioned before the break. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, good for kids of all ages. It's called HistoryCentral.com, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Uh, so we're going to talk about current global events, and I think it's appropriate to start off by a discussion of uh, one of the great leaders of civil rights, Martin Luther King. It's Martin Luther King Day uh, today. Absolutely, Bob. He was instrumental in moving the views of the American people and uh, achieving voting rights and achieving civil rights legislation that took place in the in 64, 65, and make that change in the United States. And he did it by by being a moderate, by believing in moderation, by believing in a colorblind world is what, what he was looking for. Unfortunately, our world has gotten more complicated and more problematic, and um, no, t- not too many people are following uh, his footsteps in some ways. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of politicians, you know, regular are, but, you know, the ideologies on both sides have gotten a little bit um, problematic, let's put it that way. Absolutely. You know, on one side, side you still have people who are still claiming the Civil War was a war for states' rights and not a war about, that was ultimately about slavery. And on the other hand, we have people talking about reparations. You know, that's two extremes. Um, and two people trying to rewrite history when people bring up reparations. I say, well, as soon as you can figure out how to give reparations to the 600,000 Union soldiers who gave their lives, I'm willing to talk about it. And, uh, well, you know, so, and, and, and uh, Martin Luther King, uh, you, you know, unfortunately, we've kind of reversed direction here with identity politics. It's so unfortunate because we are really on the cusp, I believe, of moving forward to his vision. Uh, I think one of the great things— You know, things I, I don't know. That's, that always is the problem, right? In other words— if we had moved to his vision, no question about it. But look, be honest, there's still problems, obviously. And the problems, you know, that came out in terms of, look, it's it, there, there's such a thing, it's very real, I've seen it with my own eyes, you know, driving while black, it's real. Um, there is all those issues, and, you know, we, we haven't reached a colorblind society, it's, it's part of the problem. Now, there are different types of solutions, and unfortunately, some people are looking in the in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. and that's very very problematic. In other words, we we need a colorblind society. We need look. I'm against all sorts of affirmative action, <clears throat> except based on economics. In other words, I think we should, you know, it's the the whole issue of let's say um, affirmative action in terms of getting people into colleges and things like that. Let's just make it based on income and not based on color of the skin or ethnic backgrounds or everything else. It will obviously overwhelmingly help African Americans because by far they're the poorest group in America, by and large, but not always. Mm. And, and and that was the way I would go. You know, that, that, those are the sort of things that I would do. You know, talking about reparations? No, we don't want reparations. If we want to, if we want to say there are problems in a society economically, et cetera, then let's do it based on, on you know, poverty or income. Yeah, and not based I, on the color of the skin. Mark, I, I, I'm I'm grateful that you want to back uh, uh, rein in affirmative action. I personally would rein it in altogether. I think it's been one of the biggest mistakes that we've made in terms of civil rights here in the United States. Well, see, I, 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 I think it's problematic in terms of, of the color of the skin. But I do think there's something to be said for people who come from a very poor background giving those kids an extra boost because they didn't gain from some of the things that that others have gotten from their home. Yeah, I, you know, the 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 problem, however, is it's not totally economic. It's it's the kids having the opportunity to see, have a vision, something beyond their own community, and and how they live, quite frankly. So, 
Uh, we have, for example, an organization here in our community called the Immokalee Foundation, which does a great job. They mentor kids, so they have... Uh, and uh, the consequence is seeing these kids blossom into having wonderful careers and wonderful lives right. that they never envisioned before. So uh, I, for one, I think it's probably a good idea if most kids don't got to go to college, especially in the environment that's being created right now. And a lot of kids, by the way, are making that choice. Apparently, the, the enrollment in colleges this year is down a million students compared to be, right. uh, pre-pandemic. Well, absolutely. Look, look, some of the things have changed. It's a fact, for instance, in the... <coughs> Me. In the world of computers, um, you know, if you want to work for Google or Apple or any of those big companies, uh, five years ago you had to have a college degree. Yeah. Today, all you have to have is experience. Yeah. And so I know a lot of I, I know friends of my son who you know never never even went to college and yeah. yet are working top jobs in these, some of these places. So. That, that's really changed tremendously. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, absolutely. And there's a young man, and I've forgotten his name now, and I sent you, actually, I sent it to you. You probably wondered why, but it was about a guy who started an alternative to going to college is basically helping people find out what they want to do at a young age and get, have, and get them involved in intern and mentoring programs uh, and allowing them to identify their career choice, you know, what brings their life uh, happiness. And uh, that's all in a substitute for college, and it's working out extremely well for a lot of young people. I, I really think it's a great idea. No, it totally can work. We yeah. have to sort of figure, figure it out. It's not, it's not simple, though. I will say, uh, for, for our listeners' benefit, uh, I've read the uh, letter from, a Birmi- from the Birmingham jail. Just an extraordinary piece of reading to better understand the character of Martin Luther King that I highly recommend today, for example, to sit down and just read the letter. It's so really fascinating. Absolutely, yep. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's uh, touch on Omicron uh, before we move on to other issues of the day. Okay, so we're seeing in much of the world... Uh, peaking and starting to go down. It's gone down in the UK. It seems to be starting to go down. It's reached its peak in eastern United States where it hit first, uh, New York, Washington, uh, Baltimore, Boston. Um, It hasn't reached its peaks in other parts of the United States. Mm -hmm. It continues to be milder, um, but not mild. In other words, we need to to separate out the fact that it's still killing people, especially those who are unvaccinated. It's still um, can cause significant disease. I know people who have gotten it, and you know it's it's worse than the flu, but you know it isn't going to kill them. But it's a terrible, terrible bunch of days. Um, hopefully, this is the last round of of this type of uh, aversion, but no one knows exactly. You know, it's one of those big, big questions. And of course, right now, it also seems to be hitting China finally. Um, I mean, the reports from China happens. are startling. I, I've heard that this uh, they're locking people in their homes. Uh, it's hard to understand exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. Well, they've had this zero, zero COVID policy, which they're not allowing any COVID to, sp- to spread. And look, the math is very simple. If you decrease the number of people who meet each other, then you will decrease the spread of of any sort of infectious disease. It doesn't make a difference what it is, whether it's common cold, the flu, or COVID. Mm-hmm. So if you lock everybody in your homes, I'm not suggesting this is a plan. I'm just saying that if you lock everybody in your homes, you don't allow them to leave their homes, they get all their food delivered by delivery service, then the virus is not going to spread. Um, so that's what they're basically doing. They're doing... Mark, are you there? My concern is we may have lost Mark. He's, we've lost him mid-sentence, so I don't know what's going on right now. But uh, hopefully he will call back. I'm going to go ahead and take him offline and continue uh, with uh, other topics right now. So uh, in any event, uh, right now COVID is spreading around the United States. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the COVID situation here in the United States, especially in Florida, is spreading wildly, but uh, hopefully we're not seeing a lot of deaths or hospitalizations as a consequence. So uh, that's reassuring as well. So uh, you may be aware that the president uh, gave a rally out in Florence, Arizona yesterday, and it was so highly successful. Uh, he basically said, uh, to told a large crowd to get out and vote. The rally was huge. The police were turning away people last night from the Trump rally in Arizona because there was no more room. Let's see if this is uh, Mark. Mark, is that you? 
Yeah, see, which, which button did you push this time? <laughs> Mark, I don't know. You just disappeared. I didn't touch a thing, although I, I can't. Uh, I can't claim total immunity from the claim, but uh, nevertheless, I think, <laughs> anyhow, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm ha happy that we can continue our conversation. In any event, you were, you were uh, summarizing uh, our situation of with the uh, coronavirus. Well, right. So, and what China was doing was basically making sure no one meets anybody so it doesn't spread. Look, um, we can hope that by now, between between vaccines and the number of people who have gotten it and building up immunity, that maybe this will eventually turn into the common cold version two. Yeah. Um, but we, we just don't know. And, you know, since we don't even know where it came from, we don't have that, that information. Um, let, let's hope it does. Let's put it that way. I think all of us are tired of everything relating to it. Uh, but unfortunately, it is what it is. We don't control it, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, we have. Let's the be optimistic. Yeah, we have a global event coming up, of course, which is the Winter Olympics, and uh, the COVID kind of splashes on that as well. Any thoughts? Right, no, absolutely. The Chinese are trying their best. I mean, you've seen, I don't know if you've seen some of the films where they have robotic preparation and delivery of food to the, to the athletes, and, you know, they're trying to keep them as separated as possible from the Chinese population and all of these things, and I think they're going to be playing to an empty stadium again, just like, uh, the Japanese Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's sad. What can I tell you? You know, this whole this whole situation has been sad for so many people in so many places, leaving aside all those that have died, obviously. So, you know, we have all the mental health issues with kids they talk about, and all. You know, no one would have expected that here in the 21st century we'd uh, move through this global situation that's affected everybody in so many different ways, and. Um, it's something that we can we better hope that it that it's over with. But again, we just don't know. Well, it certainly uh, elected officials have gone way overboard in some places. Just really see, sad to see what's happened in Australia, and of course, in some places here in the United States as well. Just tremendous overreach in terms of. Well, the Australian just just remember something: the Australian government, uh, what they have been popular with certain circles in the United States, that's extremely popular amongst Australians. Yeah. Eighty percent of Australians support it. So, so the government was doing what their people wanted. Just keep that in mind. Sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's you know, it's it's good to be against it ideologically, but, but that's what the people of Australia wanted. I was so. not aware of that. So that that is an interesting statistic. So, um, so you don't think there's a, 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 a another strain or something else going on in China before we move away from uh, Omicron? I don't know. Again, it's one of those things we just don't know. I mean, it could be a different strain. Or it could be Omicron that just is hitting them, and they're trying to to, to stop something that's almost impossible to stop because yeah. of how transmissible it is. So we'll find out eventually. But there's no, you know, there's almost no communications. There's no foreign correspondence there to tell us anything. Right. So it's almost like it's almost like North Korea again. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, let's touch on North Korea. They're firing off missiles, and uh, we don't know, I guess, what the what they're firing, but it's a real concern. Right. Well, they've, look, we've had four presidents in a row who've done a poor job when it comes to North Korea. Um, we, you know, both presidents, starting from the actually senior Bush through Clinton, through uh, Bush uh, two, through Obama and through uh, Trump, each one of them in different ways has, has dropped the ball when it's come to, to North Korea. North Korea now has a nuclear arsenal. They have missiles. Um, do we expect they're going to use it? Do we have to be afraid of that? Probably not. But on the other hand, what happens if, if we get into another Korean War situation? Um, or what happens if, if Kim gets desperate because he can't feed his people? And Let's put it this way. It's certainly not a good situation to be in. And like I said, we can blame all the administrations that have passed. There's an equal, equal opportunity sets of mistakes that were done, and it wasn't stopped when it could have been stopped, I guess. But on the other hand, everyone was afraid of going to war with North Korea. Yeah, just take a step so, back, though, Mark. Just think about the fact that the new nuclear arsenals that exist in India, Pakistan, just around the globe, I mean, uh, we are a tinderbox here in the, uh, in the globe, and we're focusing on North Korea, but we've got these kinds of, could be an accidental setting off something uh, around the globe that could just totally annihilate the human race. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we need to be worried about that without a shadow of a doubt. You know, we've canceled North Korea because we went to war with North Korea. 
Yeah. And that war is officially still going on. We've never we have a ceasefire in place. We don't have a peace agreement with North Korea. We are, you know, both India and Pakistan are our allies, and we can discuss, you know, how good an ally some of them are. But they're they're our allies. We have no disputes with either India or Pakistan. And um, Russia is a whole other story, obviously. Um, but North Korea has been is we've gone to war with. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, move to Russia and uh, the saber rattling that's going on there. Hopefully, it's just saber rattling. Right. Um, that's hopefully. I, I don't know. No one seems to understand what Putin is really up to. Um, it's unclear. Um, I think um, we need to be worried. Let's put it that way. We need to be worried because his domestic situation is not good, and he wants to be the one in history to reunited all of all of Russia and the great Russia should return, you know, the Soviet Union. If I was a betting person, I would not put odds against him invading Ukraine. Uh-huh. Not that I think he's going to, but I think it's it's a very real possibility. And of course, he's made other comments about putting uh, that he, but the others in, in the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet Union, others in Russia have talked about the possibility of uh, moving nuclear subs off the U.S. coast, you know, really bringing back the Cold War in all of its glory, shall we say. And I'm a little bit concerned. This is sort of, it relates to China, it relates to Russia, it even relates to North Korea, who supposedly had tested hypersonic missiles, which the United States doesn't have yet. Uh And I'm a little bit concerned that that our defense establishment, the allowing all of the mergers that have taken place in the last 20 years and basically only two defense firms you know the others and software people and basically you have uh boeing and lockheed and that's it and i'm i fear that the innovation cycle has gotten way too way too long i mean we look look as an example of how much innovation um spacex has done as a private company that's been really and basically running circles around nasa yeah, I, I yeah, just taking a step back though. What is our strategic interest in the Ukraine? I mean, in other words, why is this important to us? It just doesn't seem to be. At least it doesn't seem to be to warrant uh, t- picking up arms and going to war. Okay, the, you know the exact question could have been asked. What is us? What was our strategic interest? Ours or the British strategic interest in Czechoslovakia? All right. When it, well, but but it was because. The problem was that when Hitler finished getting Czechoslovakia, he decided next on his list was Poland, and after Poland, there was France. So the question becomes, when you, a, a, when you draw a line or when lines are ignored by dictators, that's a real problem. Second of all, Ukraine is a democracy. And do we think it's okay? Now, I'm not saying we should go to war. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think we should do everything short of war because the fact of the matter is the democracy, an independent country, and if we left Russia to continue to act out, um, that's very problematic in terms of the world. I mean, we got then we have Estonia, we have Lithuania, we have Latvia. All those are independent countries. And what about Poland? It was once in the in the Soviet sphere. I mean, you you, you keep on going. Yeah. And so I'm not just seeing a little war against for Ukraine, but you need to do everything you can short of war. And don't forget, all the rest of those countries are all members of NATO. Yeah, so, so I I, I, uh, I just acknowledge everything you're saying. I just uh, wonder about the premise of equating Hitler to Putin. In other words... Uh, okay, well, let, let's put it this way. Okay, so one of the things we have to be careful of when we deal with international relations is, like you just said, every dictator is not Hitler, and every, um, you know, I don't think Putin is a murderer in the sense, or he's, you know, he... He'll uh, do whatever he can to maintain power, and he'll put people away in jail for the rest of their lives. But he doesn't have the uh, the killing instinct of Hitler to kill all the Jews, kill all the gypsies, kill all, you know that sort of person. He is not. Right. But on the other hand, he clearly has the view of wanting to bring back the former Soviet Union. Now, is that okay? Do we think that's okay? Do we think it's okay that countries that are independent? and are democratic and are aligned with us should suddenly be allowed to be captured and conquered by another country. We're changing the type of world we were in. Yeah. Since World War II, the only times we've actually had countries occupy other countries is we had Saddam Hussein occupying Kuwait, and then you know we know what we did to, to change that. Um, we have the Soviets 
occupying a little part of of, um, of Ukraine, but they didn't take all of it. And basically, the world has managed to maintain that idea that you cannot uh, occupy a different country um, and change the map of the world based on power. Yeah, and that's been a fundamental part of the United Nations, a fundamental part of why we've basically been living in peace all these years. Something. Yeah, something to contemplate indeed. Hey, Mark, before I let you go, though, I do want to get your comments on Abu Dhabi and uh, I, I guess related to the right. Clinton. No, it's actually it was a, there was an attack of drones um, a few hours ago on the main airport in, in Dubai huh. and the um, also on a bunch of um, gas tankers. Um, it was a bunch of it seems it was a bunch of drones. It was attacked from by Houthis, which are the Iranian proxies in Yemen. Yeah, and and they launched an attack on on Dubai. Wow, which is um, aligned with the Saudis, obviously, and there's a peace with Israel, and uh, so that's an Iranian attempt at uh, getting back at lots of people. So makes life very complicated, right? And um, the world still needs what, what the United States may not need the oil. Uh, but the world still needs to be oil in the Middle East because otherwise the price of oil is going to go to the, you know, to the roof completely. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark Schumann, again, again, the uh, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I want to encourage our listeners to go to HistoryCentral.com. Check it out. Uh, really great multimedia uh, website on history. HistoryCentral.com. Mark, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcast Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you'll find out more and download the app from the choicesocial.us network or our website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. 
Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Tell us, thank you, Larry. Uh, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a nonprofit educational organization devoted to inspiring and educating young people in ideas of free markets, individual liberty, private property, and personal character. And we do that on our website, feefee.org, every day with fresh commentary, as well as videos and courses, and also in-person presentations, seminars, and the like, all over the country and sometimes abroad. Yeah, and I must say, I've uh, had the opportunity to attend the national conferences, and they are just terrific. It's so inspiring to see young people celebrating the ideas of liberty, responsibility, freedom. And, uh, you know, if you're concerned, if you have a, uh, someone in your life who's high school or college age, and uh, you're concerned about the, what they're learning about economics and liberty, uh, refer them to FEE.org, FEE.org. You'd be pleased you did. So, Larry, you wrote such an interesting column, Science is Affirming Creation, Not Accident. So interesting because I'm reading uh, Eric Metaxas's book, Is Atheism Dead Right Now? Really, it's right to that topic. Yes, I think it's a fantastic uh, new book. I, I like everything Eric Metaxas writes. Yep. Mostly he does uh, biographies of, of great men and women, but uh, this is a superb look at what science is increasingly telling us. Uh, the old idea that time was uh, infinite, if you go backwards in time, that there uh, was no discernible beginning, uh, and so forth, is really giving way to uh, a new consensus among scientists, uh, namely that there was a beginning uh, and that we know it now as the Big Bang, that uh, the evidence for it is overwhelming, that the universe actually had a start. And then, of course, uh, you have to ask the question, well, how did it start and perhaps why and by whom? And increasingly, scientists are saying you, you just can't avoid the notion that uh, there was a creator. And as Metaxas points out, a big reason for that is not just the Big Bang, but also the evident uh, fine-tuning of the universe. The more we uh, look at the uh, things around us and everything from the nanoscience of the human cell to the planets and the solar systems and galaxies of the universe, the more it's apparent that everything is just perfectly calibrated for life on Earth, and that if any one of a growing number of phenomena that we have studied uh, were slightly different, mm -hmm. the conditions for life would be lethal. And in fact, uh, p part of the whole process is the, the, the argument for atheism was that, well, since the, uh, the solar system and the uh, universe galaxy is uh, infinite, uh, it's been around for in time inf for infinity, then over time certainly uh, apes can d end up writing <laughs> Shakespeare and that type of thing, that type of argument. But this kind of this, uh, the Big Bang, which is now a, pr a proven and accepted science, I guess I shouldn't yeah, say proven, uh, I shouldn't say uh, proven. That's right. Atheists used to say that, uh, as Charles Darwin uh, himself said, that uh, given enough time, anything can happen. But now we know that there isn't an infinity of time, uh, that everything's got to fit into the 13.7 billion years uh, since the Big Bang began. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that still is a lot of time, but it's a lot less than infinity. Absolutely. And you know, pointing out, for example, that the size of the Earth is critical for the existence of a life on Earth. If it was a little smaller or a little bigger, to your point about fine-tuning, the Earth is perfectly fine-tuned for the situation that we have. Yeah, that's a, a perfect example of the fine-tuning argument. And that argument is becoming uh, more powerful with each day as we discover that so many things uh, are so uh, much more complex than we ever thought and so dependent upon just the right combination of properties or materials or forces uh, that are present in the universe. And that if you don't believe that uh, uh, this is the result of some fine-tuning, if you think it's still just all an accident, you're in effect. You're in effect saying that uh, uh, human beings have won the lottery, you know, thousands of times. Mm -hmm. uh, and as one who has uh, never won 
the, the lottery, never bought a, lot, a winning lottery ticket. I find that rather uh, uh, absurd. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's amazing about uh, this is that we're seeing more and more really credible, uh, uh, talented scientists say that uh, this this all leads to one thing, which is the, uh, the ultimate creation is the existence of God. Yes, that's right. More and more scientists are coming to that conclusion. Now, where they can differ, of course, is, okay, now if we assume there was a creator and we call him God, well then, uh, is he the God of Christianity, the God of Islam, the God of fill-in-the-blank religion, or is he just somebody you can construct uh, yourself? And uh, that's where you've got to make some decisions. Personally, I think the God of Christianity is the uh, the valid one because of uh, the evidence that's, that uh, runs in that direction. But uh, but the notion that there was a beginning and there was a beginner, mm-hmm. uh, a fine-tuning of the universe, and therefore a fine-tuner, is uh, really becoming uh, rather powerful. Absolutely. Uh, in my mind, it's the, uh, you know, there's a, a, a still, irrespective of what we may discover through science, it's just amazing. We're sending a new spell, uh, telescope into space that's going to be just incredible to study other universes. But in spite of that, no matter how how much we learn, which really it kind of demonstrates how little we understand right now. The fact is that it's going to require a leap of faith. Science will never be able to quote unquote prove God. Uh, you know, the whole notion is that we, ha- you know, everything that we believe, we at one point we have to believe is there a God? It's it's a leap of faith, and I think more and more demonstrated it's a wise leap of faith. Yeah, and you know, it, it's also a matter of probabilities, as some mathematicians have pointed out. Um, what is the likelihood that the universe would emerge as it has, so finely tuned, so that the conditions are just perfect on on this Earth? Um, uh, those odds are pretty uh, distant, so much so, in fact, that uh, it's uh, the the odds are far uh, more in favor of a fine tuner then there is that we're entirely an accident. So that raises the question, well, which requires more faith? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the notion of uh, there was no beginner, we're all an accident, or the notion that there was a beginning and there was a creator. And increasingly it's becoming apparent that uh, uh, to believe that there was no beginning and no creator, that's the leap of faith. <laughs> well said. Again, uh, I, I'm going to refer our listeners to lamerican.com which is where I found this column, lamerican.com, uh, by, again by Larry Reed, Science is Affirming Creation, Not Accident. A very interesting read. And also uh, highly recommend Eric Metaxas' new book, uh, Is uh, Atheism Dead? It's kind of a takeoff on the column that appeared in uh, or the front cover of Time magazine back in 1966, Is God Dead? Or God is Dead, or something to that effect. Again, yeah. again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org is the website, fee.org. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His two latest are Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too.
School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, again, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and uh, author of some several books. His two latest, Two Great Murder Mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure. Uh, happy Martin Luther King Day, uh, which would have been a controversial uh, greeting, say, uh, 40 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking today about the man who killed King, James Earl Ray, mm. who was a, a career criminal. I, I mean, he was he was a dastardly uh, criminal. Mm. Uh, it looked like, uh, I, I mean, he never, never showed any signs of uh, any kind of uh, redemption. He was attracted to uh, George Wallace, who was running for president at the time on a very racist, segregationist platform. And um, so uh, Wallace attracted James Earl Ray, because, uh, who was living in Los Angeles, because he was a racist. And it got me thinking um, about Ronald Reagan. Hmm. Ronald Reagan met and he 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 was an enemy of of the kind of secular li- liberalism that uh, we see today that is poisoning uh, traditional American values, uh, which is a threat to the way of life of uh, most church-going American citizens. Uh, Reagan never attracted the nutcases. He, he he didn't attract the hell's angels types or the you know the people inclined to violence and i i like the politicians of today hmm. and i think i think it's because in, instead of just offering a venomous criticism he he was witty um and he was positive he 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 offered an alternative to move us uh, forward in a, on a virtuous path, in, you know, in, in Reagan's mind, America was good. And in, in juxtaposition uh, to uh, the Soviet Union, which was bad. Yeah, the evil empire. This is it was called his evil empire speech. Yeah, it was a brilliant speech. And your listeners might think my mind is all over the place this morning, but then that got me thinking. You know, Joe Biden has a State of the Union address on March first. And when you go back, and, and this is on YouTube, the Evil Empire speech, it's just so enjoyable. Uh, Reagan comes across as so likable, and then the speech is so poignant and uplifting. Um, it just shows you what a poor president uh, Joe Biden is, because, you know, we've been at war with uh, Russia. And, you know, uh, Trump was a poor president in this respect, too. We've been at war with Russia for, for at least 10 years. Uh-huh. I mean, they're, they're using their proxy forces to attack and rob our businesses uh, with hacking attacks. Um, you know, they've been supplying weapons to uh, Iran. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they've been working, Putin has been working against the United States uh, every day of the week uh, for at least the, the last 10 years, mm-hmm. probably longer than that. And uh, 
Now, uh, Biden is in the White House today. The Soviet Union is threatening to invade the Ukraine. And his response has been incredibly weak. It's so weak that in in today's Politico, which I think is generally a a liberal uh, publication, uh, the lead story is highly critical of Biden for projecting uh, weakness. And, and the comments about this are not coming from Politico's writers. I mean, even uh, uh, Mark Warner uh, on the Hill, a Democrat, criticizes Biden for his weak response to uh, Soviet aggression uh, in the Ukraine and on the Internet. So uh, these are scary times because, uh, you know, first Trump and, and then Biden should have mobilized the American public and really pressed home how serious the threat from Russia is. And, and, and neither one of them has done that. Uh, Ronald Reagan did that. Yeah. Let me uh, just, I think what you've done is given an opportunity just to make this observation that, quite frankly, I think uh, Biden right now is like a cornered animal. In other words, he is, uh, he is weak. Uh, he is being threatened. All the evidence demonstrates he's not a successful or effective president. I think he's flailing right now and looking for some way to make a statement. Hopefully it's not going to be, for example, to start some sort of altercation uh, with in the Ukraine. But irrespective, I think it, that uh, I'm not sure we can count on a totally rational president at this point. Well, yeah. Also, the public should be prepared that, that we may have to take uh, more than symbolic action to thwart the, 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 the Russians. Yeah. You know, in, uh, now in Europe, uh, in this same political article, there, there's a couple lines that say that in France and in Germany, uh, they are mobilizing their young people to, to, for homeland defense. And, and the hmm. young people are volunteering for a year to learn how to protect the Internet. Uh, from from uh, Russian hacking. Wow. Uh, you know, we we have nothing like that in this country. So the Europeans are taking the threat much more seriously uh, than we are. And and I think it's really a failure of uh, messaging. Um, you know, we've been distracted by um, the uh, Chinese virus. I mean, I I think China, I think the the virus got from a lab. It was probably an accident, but then the Chinese uh, decided that they were going to use it as a weapon, and, and, and they remained silent and spread it here to the U.S. They sent their citizens here to infect us. So, so I think we've been at war with China, uh, we've been fo- but we've been focusing on the virus and, and, to, and ignoring all the, uh, the other threats, which are probably uh, uh, at this point more of a threat than, than, than uh, COVID. Yeah. Let me, uh, this point is a great opportunity to point out that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is a terrific read. I don't know if you've read it, Jim, but it is a fascinating uh, study of what's going on in around the globe and what's happening with regard to coronavirus. And uh, the last chip chapter is really stunning. It's just an incredible, incredible read. Uh, have you read the book? I haven't, but uh, you know, I sit here debating who who is confusing the public more, uh, the CDC or the uh, or the uh, Federal Reserve. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. uh, the, confu- the confusion confusion by the Federal Reserve is, is shown in the wild spring swings in the stock market. Yeah. The Federal Reserve, which has probably more PhD economists uh, than any place in the U.S., was completely surprised by the seven percent inflation. And and now the message on uh, rate increases is confusing because some governors are saying we're going to have five increases. Some are saying, well, we may have uh, two increases. Uh, nobody knows what the timing is, and nobody knows how politically independent uh, Jay Powell will be with a midterm election yeah. coming up. So so now in Fauci and, and the scientists, uh, you know, they were they were talking to us as if. Uh, Everything they said was settled science, and and none of it was settled. Of and, course. And so, so every month we had a, a, a different message, and that's in, I'm totally confused yeah. about the impacts of these diseases. So, yeah. so, so our, um, you know, the the, the point the point being, uh, 
they 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 spoke confidently. I don't think they were lying. I think they were relying on facts they knew at the time. But but uh, you know where the deception was is is presenting scientists as some kind of um, yeah. of infallible spokespeople. Yeah, I think perhaps they, there may have been some, a political bias involved in the whole thing as well, Jim. Jim McTagg, again, uh, two great books to read, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Jim, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. She's up in Tallahassee. Boo Mortensen will be with us. We'll visit with Boo. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife, Linda, too, will be joining us and getting her uh, take on what's happening around the globe. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.